So we're in Matthew chapter 12 today, verses 22 to 32. Christ in this ongoing discussion with the Pharisees. Starting in verse 22, then a demon oppressed man was, who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So here's my thesis this morning. Two focus. The kingdom of God has come with power in the person and work of Christ. And it comes with moving vans. And it is never too late to repent and believe until death. Those are two focuses this morning. So, so, so first of all, Christ is having this ongoing discussion with the Pharisees. Saw last week that the Pharisees, who were the party of purity, who objected to the Roman rule and the, and, and the minimizing of the Jewish faith among their contemporaries, in a very pure movement, decided to have a purity movement. And so they had all these laws that they layered over the Mosaic law. And by doing so, though, they lost sight of any type of, of grace. And then they were busy commending themselves to one another and trying to earn the favor of God. So, so they, they were commending themselves to each other by saying, we're great, we're wonderful, you're not. And they tried to earn the favor of God. It was all up to them. And so, so Christ has this ongoing discussion with them. And in Mark chapter 8, Jesus says this. It's a very interesting statement. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. Two totally different thought streams. The Pharisees commended themselves to one another and earned the favor of God. Herod was raised as a Jewish person, was a turncoat, was in league with the Romans, and really was a secularist. And yet Jesus says there's leaven in both camps that will destroy you. And what's the leaven? Here's the answer. Arrogance and self-sufficiency. I'm going to earn the favor of God. I'm on top of the world. I'm going to commend myself to other people by my good acts. I'm in charge of everything. So beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of 
Herod. And so as Christ has this encounter, a, a, a person is brought to him who has been uh, unable to speak and blind from birth. And Jesus healed him so that the man spoke and he saw. Imagine being there. And it says in verse 23, and the people were amazed. The, the problem with that translation, the, the word amazed really doesn't carry the, the, the passion of that word. It really means they were overwhelmed with wonder. There's a British term I've heard watching BBC shows, and I've cleared this with a guy from Britain who says it's an okay word to use. The, the British use this word, gobsmacked. I love the word, gobsmacked. So in other words, that, that means to be overwhelmed. I'm gobsmacked. It means I, I'm, I'm almost speechless. They, they were amazed that this has happened, and they said to one another, could this really possibly be? Could this man be the Messiah King? Could he be the son of David? Could this really be the one we've longed for? And as they had those discussions, the Pharisees jumped into the fray, and they said, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of the demons, that he casts out demons. It says, this man is in league with the forces of darkness. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says to them, he says, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand, which we know from reading American history is a very famous phrase uttered by President Lincoln in the Civil War. But what Jesus is saying is, how can an evil person cast out demons that makes no sense. He says, what you're saying is obscure and nonsensical. And then he says this, and this is the amazing statement. But if by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He says, he says, basically, the kingdom of God is now here. We see demons being cast out. That's the statement that the king walks among you. It's the same thought that we had in Matthew 11 where John the Baptist is in prison and he sends his men to ask, are you the Messiah or should we long for someone else? And Jesus answers this in Matthew 11. He says, go and tell John, verse 4, that what you hear and see, the, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them indiscriminately. In other words, this is kingdom come. And so Christ says, this is kingdom come. The kingdom of God is here. It is among you. This is what's going on. And then he gives this statement. It's an incredible statement. It's just, I love this verse. Verse 29, Jesus says this. Oh, oh or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. And you say, well, what does that mean? Here's what it means. The Lord Christ, by his obedience and his death upon the cross, bound the forces of evil. We're talking about theologically his active and his passive obedience. Every obedience of Christ was a body blow to the devil. When he's tempted in the wilderness after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and he says, Satan, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. And the Bible says Satan leaves him until an opportune time. It was a body blow to Satan. Every healing, a body blow to Satan's kingdom. Every teaching, 
A body blow to Satan's kingdom. He's beaten and beaten and beaten. And then the cross finishes him off. It's done. In the book of Colossians, the apostle Paul speaks of this. and He says in chapter 2, verse 13, you were, you were dead, dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. But God made you alive with Christ, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. The cross. The strong man is bound and so the kingdom of God, as I said earlier, the kingdom of God comes with moving vans as he takes furniture out of the forces of darkness and brings them into the, 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 the kingdom of light. Chapter 1, Colossians, verse 13 and 14 says this, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. The, the, Galatians, chapter 1. Verse 4, the Lord Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He's rescued us from the present age. Listen, if you're a believer, listen, the forces of evil have been bound. The strong man is bound. It's time to plunder. It's time to plunder. It's time to live unto the Lord and go forward. We are an army, not an audience. This little book is the first book in the Chronicles of Narnia. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Really, please read these books and read them to your children, your grandchildren. They are so good. So in the first book, there's someone called the White Witch, and she represents the forces of evil. And the White Witch will go around with a wand, and she will hit animals and human beings and turn them into stone. And then her minions would cart these stone statues from Narnia into her castle. And they would stand there as motionless stone statues. And the great lion Aslan, who represents Christ, is the king of Narnia, and he freely gives up his life for a little boy named Edmund who's become a traitor. And so he's put to death, but he lives again. And so after he is risen from the dead, representing Christ, he gets two little girls, and they jump on his back, and they fly through the air to the castle of the White Witch. And they enter this place of darkness, and it's cold, and it's barren, except for all of these hundreds and hundreds of statues. And as the little girls stood there, they saw something they could not believe, and that is the great lion Aslan started breathing on the statues, and the statues slowly came to life. <laughs> it's just a great story. And I'll just read this. But, but at, at last, the ramsacking of the witch's fortress was ended. The whole castle stood empty, and every door and window open, and the light and the sweet spring air flooding into all the dark and evil places which needed them so badly. The whole crowd of liberated statues surged back into the courtyard, and it was at that time that someone said, How are we going to get out? The gates are tall and wide and strong. And Aslan said, 
have no fear. And he looked up at this huge giant whose name was Giant Ruffle Buffin. That's a great name for a giant, Ruffle Buffin. Giant Ruffle Buffin, if you please, will you bang down the gates? And he did. And they went out. Uh, it's, it's a picture of, of grace. When you were a stone statue believer, dead, motionless, without hope, the great God of all mercy breathed life into your being as the word of God was preached and communicated to your heart. And he gave you life. And, and, and so, and today, today, church is, is Pentecost Sunday. We have all these flags saying the gospel's for the nations. We are rejoicing that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church to take the gospel out. To take it to the ends of the earth, to the neighborhoods, and to the nations. Now, I want to just quote a couple of things from, I'm going to preach on his life in December for Lottie Moon. But this is a guy named William Carey. William Carey, one of my heroes, I'm just going to tell you some things about him. And William Carey lived from uh, 1761 to 1834, died at age 73. So the dates are wrong in the bulletin, but died at age 73. William Carey was from a poor home, had little to no education, but he was a brilliant man. He was converted uh, as a as early 20s, late teens by a, a co-worker named John War who kept preaching the gospel to him and Kerry became a man who prayed about God's heart for the nations. And so in 17 and 94, William Carey and his family, including eight, there were eight of them, left England to go to India. And his little biography says that he, they never saw England again. Think about that. William Carey was in the Calcutta area for 41 years without ever going back home. While he was in India, his wife and he buried two children. His wife lost her mind. She had to be restrained with leather straps. It was a horrible thing. And then she died and he remarried to a wonderful woman for 13 years. He buried her. He buried countless co-workers and friends. He is, his life was a very difficult, difficult life. And yet he stayed by the stuff. And the thing about Carrie that I love, as you read his biography, he always kept the gospel of Jesus Christ central and burning in his heart. In fact, his biographer says this, Timothy George, this is a great book. He says, he, William Carey had a childlike simplicity and utter transparency, close quote. When he, was, when he started learning the Bengal, Bengal language, the, he, he, tran, he wrote a little hymn. And let me, this is the hymn I've got on the overhead here. It goes like this. Oh, who besides can recover us? Oh, who besides can recover us from everlasting darkness of sin except the Lord Jesus Christ? The gospel was always central. A young man came to India to work with him named John Fountain. He was a single man. He, he went there and he was uh, uh, working with Carrie and wrote this letter home one month before he died. He died a month later. And he says this about William Carey. He says, he keeps the grand end in view, which first induced him to leave his country and those Christian friends he still dearly loves. He kept the grand end in view. And I say to us, keep the grand end in view of preaching the gospel of Jesus.
That is what we're about. And, and, and let me just, he had a, he had a, a God-intoxicated worldview. Let me just read you one example. So in, in India at that time, there was something called sati. And, and that is when a, 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 a widow whose husband has died and his body is being burned, when the body was being consumed at his height, she would fall on top of her husband's body and be burned alive with his remains. And it was, it was a horrible practice. It was not in any Hindu scripture. It was a tradition that thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of women participated in every year. And part of the problem, to be bluntly honest, is that a lot of these older men who were dying had lost a, life, a wife because many women died in childbirth. And so they married someone 30 years younger. So this woman that's killing herself is at the prime of her life. It's a horrible thing. And so William Carey would cry out against it. He would write the British authorities and say, we've got to end this and do away with this. This is a horrible practice. It's a godless, it's a demonic practice. And they said, well, we don't want to interfere too much in the local belief system because we really like all the prophets that come to England from India. And let me just read one example of this uh, God-intoxicated worldview. He was walking one night and he came upon a crowd outside of a riverbank and he said they were, they, were, they were about to burn a corpse and the woman was going to throw herself on it. And when she did that, they would throw bamboo slats over her body and anchor her down so she couldn't get off. And they would start screaming out loud in praise so they couldn't hear her screams of, of pain and horror. It was a horrible thing. He said, I, I came to this place where there was a, a, a funeral pyre that's two and a half feet high, four feet long, and two feet wide. On top of it lay the dead body of her husband. Her nearest relation stood by her, and near her was a small basket of sweetmeats that were filled with drugs. I asked them if this was the woman's choice or if she were brought to it by an improper influence. And they answered, it was perfectly voluntary. I talked till reasoning was of no use. And then I began to exclaim with all of my might and all of my voice against what they were doing, telling them that it was a shocking murder. They told me it was a great act of holiness and added with a surly manner that I could go away if I didn't want to go away. And I told them that I would not go away, that I was determined to stay and see the murder and that I would, I would certainly bear witness to it at the judgment seat of the living God. I exhorted the woman not to throw away her life, to fear nothing, for no evil would follow her refusal to do so. But they burned the fire even hotter, and she threw herself upon it. And he says, we could not bear to see any more. So we left exclaiming loudly against the murder of this dear woman and the horror of what we had just seen. And so he labored. A God-intoxicated worldview that touched every area of life. And he found an ally in the Parliament of England, a dear man named William Wilberforce. And so Wilberforce worked with Carey, and in 1829, just four years before he died, five years before he died, this barbaric practice was outlawed in India, saving tens of thousands and tens of thousands of lives. So, so uh, also, I, 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 put in, I put in your bulletin, I, his prayer, he, he, on, his, on his birthday, he would take a day of fasting and prayer and write about his life. And so he's 70 years old. It's in, your, it's in the back of your worship guide. He's, he, listen, he's 70. He's three and a half years from death. He's 70 years old. He's buried two wives. He's buried two children. He's, he's translated the Bible into eight languages and 13 dialects. He started a college. He's done this and this and this. I mean, it's just amazing. This is, this, I'm just going to read this. This is, this is, to me, it's like, wow. He says, I am this day 70 years old, a monument of divine mercy and goodness, 
Though on the review of my life, I have much, very much for which I ought to be humbled in the dust. My direct and positive sins are innumerable. My negligence in the Lord's work has been great. I've not promoted his cause nor sought his glory and honor as I ought. Notwithstanding all of this, I am spared till now and am still retained in his work. And I trust I am received into that divine favor through him. I wish to be more entirely devoted to his service and more completely sanctified and more habitually exercising all the Christian graces and bringing forth the fruits of righteousness to the praise and honor of that Savior who gave his life a sacrifice for sin, close quote. I mean, wow. That's just, to me, it's amazing. And so, so I just say this. Listen, the strong man is bound by the glory and grandeur and work of Jesus. It's time to bring in the moving vans. We are an army, not an audience. There are places that you go in your neighborhood, with your coworkers, with your friends, with your family members. No one else can go. And it's time to bring in the moving vans. We are called to be representatives of Christ, ambassadors for Christ, to proclaim his goodness. God forbid that we preach not the gospel. Keep it central. And so Jesus says, he says, neutrality is impossible. Verse 30, he says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. He's talking about specifically the Pharisees. But as you think about us, you know, if, if you are just lukewarm, just really don't care about the reality of Christ, as well, yeah, maybe, I don't know, yeah. This is, I'm going to say in a few minutes, I think that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Be very careful. You just you kind of look on, well, I don't, I don't know. Listen, get hot. Get hot. Neutrality is impossible. We are an army, not an audience. We're called to go forward. It's time to take the moving vans and empty out the furniture of the, the devil's house. And then we come to these verses that I think verses 31 and 32 are enormously encouraging. And at least six, seven, eight times a year, I am asked as a pastor this question. Explain the unforgivable sin, which is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Explain that to me. Because Jesus says, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks the word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. You go, wow. Some people saying all crazy things about, about Christ because this, is he a teacher? Is he God? Well, we don't know. But Jesus says, listen. If you speak against the Holy Spirit, you cannot be forgiven. So what's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? It is not murder. It is not adultery or sexual excess. It is not suicide. No. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is this, to willfully reject the reality of God as the eternal one who died on the cross for our sins in the person of Jesus Christ until the day you die. Because the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The job of the Holy Spirit is to exalt the name of Christ and to open the Word of God and to empower His church. So, so 
To me, this is enormously encouraging. There are people sitting here today, or people sitting here who have friends who maybe they're 18 or they're 88. You know, they said, you know, God can't forgive me because I have lived a horrible life. Join the club. The only sin that cannot be forgiven is rejecting the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit that exalts the person and work of Jesus, who says that Jesus is the covering for our sin. You reject that, you will not be forgiven. So I, I say to you today, do not think that you've got to clean up to get there. You can't clean up. Do not think that you've been passed over because of some horrid period in your life where you did terrible things. Many of us had those periods. In fact, most of us did. It's only the work of Christ. Therefore, I say this is an enormously encouraging and gloriously comforting passage. It's never too late. And I plead with you today to run to the cross if you've never done so. It is never too late. I don't care what you've done. The only thing that will keep you out of heaven and send you to hell is rejecting Jesus until the day that you die. Never too late. So I look at this and I say, we are an army, not an audience. The strong man has been bound. It's time to plunder. There's a book by a guy named Ben Sass. I highly recommend the book. It's called The Vanishing American Adult. It is a great read. And in on page 153, he's talking about a guy named Charles Murray, who's a sociologist, who says that to reach a full and satisfying old age, in his studies, you have to feel or know three things. These are the three things. That's so very interesting. Number one, to have reach old age with satisfaction, you must have a source of satisfaction that is important. Important. Something's really important that your life's been called to. Number two, that the source of your satisfaction must ex expend effort, effort and energy and, 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 and time and, and worry. You have to go for it. And thirdly, there's got to be a level of personal responsibility. And I read that, and that's all about being a follower of Christ. You know, if, if, if you want to have, reach old age with satisfaction, you give your life away in the name of Jesus to your children or your grandchildren or your contemporaries or your neighbors. And it, it involves effort. It's not easy. You have to go for it. You have to go for it when you're tired. You have to, you have to forgive when you, want to, when you don't want to forgive. You have to pray when you, you don't want to pray. You have to forgive your enemies when you want to get even with them. It's, it requires effort. And, and thirdly, you are responsible. You're an ambassador. You're, 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 we're an army. And I read that and I go, wow. Okay, back to the line of the witch in the wardrobe. So the statues have been uh, brought back to life. And then it says, as they were clapping and embracing each other, the great lion Aslan said, our day's work is not yet over. And if the white witch is to be fully defeated before bedtime, we must find the battle at once. There's a great battle going on. Aslan said, those who can keep up 
must ride, who can't keep up, must ride in the backs of those who can. And those who can smell must go before us to find out where the battle is. Those who are good with their noses must come in the front with us lions. There are only two lions. To smell out where the battle is. Look lively and sort yourselves. And with a great deal of bustle and cheering they did. But the most pleased of the whole lot was the other lion. Who kept running about everywhere, pretending to be very busy, but really in order to say to everyone he met, did you hear what he said? Us lions. That means him and me. Us lions. That's what I like about Aslan. There's no standoffishness. Us lions. That meant him and me. I read in the Bible, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go you, therefore. And make disciples of all the nations. Us lions. When these teachers preach Christ this week at Vacation Bible School, they're participating in a great drama. When you love your neighbors and your friends, when you go to the nations, it's a great drama. Us lions. Part of a great work. Keep the cross central. So one of the things about William Carey, we'll close. So this, this book is about a guy named Timothy George. It's a great book. This is what he says. What, what could this lone little man do against the principalities and powers of darkness? Here's his resume. Education, minimal. Degrees, none. Savings, depleted. Political influence, nil. References, a band of country preachers in England led by a guy named Andrew Fuller, half a world away. What are his resources? The Word of God. His weapon, love. A desire to bring the light of God into the darkness. A strategy to proclaim by life, lips, and letters the unsearchable riches of Jesus. When he'd been in India for seven, several years, the band of missionaries got together and they wrote out a personal credo statement. I carry translate the Bible to eight languages. I mentioned that, 13 dialects. It's brilliant. But they had a, a personal credo statement. I'm just going to read the first five. There are 11 statements, but listen. Number one, to set an infinite value on men's souls. Number two, to acquaint ourselves with the snares which hold the minds of the people in darkness. Number three, to abstain from whatever deepens India's prejudice against the gospel of Jesus. Number four, to watch for every chance of doing people good. And number five, to preach Christ crucified as the grand means of conversion for men and women and boys and girls. Keep the gospel central. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, we thank you that the strong man has been bound. We thank you that in the Garden of Gethsemane, you, Lord Christ, in a colossal struggle said, if it's possible, may this cup pass from me, yet not what I will, but what you will, Heavenly Father, and you bore our sins in your body on the cross. The strong man has been bound. And thank you that from that day until now and until the day you come again, the, the, the strong man's 
strongholds and castles and places of darkness are being plundered. We pray that this week you would plunder the strong man's castle by the preaching of the gospel of Christ. We pray for people here this morning that may be just kind of indifferent, that this will be a day when they declare, I am for Christ. I am for Christ. And so our prayer, Lord, is that you would renew us. Our prayer is the spirit of the living God fall fresh upon us. Energize, mold, make, fashion us. But come, we pray. Use us to be U-Haul van drivers as we seek to plunder the kingdom of the dark Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.